2020, there was a scandal brewing in the Tarrant County Medical Examiner's Office. By Thanksgiving of last year, the ME's office and its chief medical examiner, Dr. Nizam Pirwani, knew they were in real trouble. However, the first news story didn't hit the media until March 1st, 2021. And even then, it was just a little ripple of a story. But it wouldn't stay that way. Hi, everyone. I'm Sharon. Welcome to Justice Delayed, the unsolved homicide of Jennifer Servo. So what's this big scandal I keep talking about? Well, Dr. Mark Krause, who worked for the Tarrant County Medical Examiner's Office, missed a bullet wound in an autopsy in September 2020, and it set off an investigation that would bring his career to a crashing halt. And the fallout may still take down his famous boss, Dr. Nizam Pirwani, and taint the reputations of not just those two men, but the Tarrant County Medical Examiner's Office for years to come. The Tarrant County Criminal Defense Lawyers Association is calling for a massive investigation into not only Dr. Krause and his cases, but the entire administration of Dr. Nizam Pirwani. So I've been following this scandal, watching it build, watching as it takes out first one man's career and now has forced the early retirement of another. And then I watched the story fade away while I waited on an open records request. You see, there's an internal audit report out there that's 105 pages long. The audit covers the autopsies performed by Dr. Mark Krause between approximately January 2020 and November 2020. And that audit found mistakes in at least 27 of 41 autopsies he performed during that time period. There's also a letter that was sent out by the Tarrant County District Attorney's Office to defense attorneys with cases affected by those autopsies. Oh yeah, and the worst part? Dr. Krause mistook a bullet wound for a surgical incision in one case. That means Dr. Krause misidentified a bullet wound, called it a surgical incision, and left the second bullet in the victim's body. As a result, the victim's body had to be exhumed. How would you like to be the guy that had to tell the family that? So I know you're already thinking of all the ramifications of a scandal in the ME's office, any ME's office, and all the cases it might affect. But why is it relevant to Jennifer's case? Trust me, I'm getting to that. So I filed that open records request, but I didn't know the name of the audit report, so it made it a lot more difficult. So while I waited, I started emailing every reporter who wrote a story about Dr. Kraus, Dr. Pirwani, or the Tarrant County Medical Examiner's Office. I was requesting a copy of the audit report and the letter from the DA's office. The news stories they wrote made it clear that they had a copy. I explained that I understood that they may have gotten it from a confidential source and that if they could just give me the name of the report so that I could request it properly through an open records request, I sure would appreciate it. I even emailed Benson Bergazzi, who's the current president of the Tarrant County Criminal Defense Lawyers Association, and one of his colleagues, and his PR person. Still nothing. I got responses, don't get me wrong. Everyone was very nice, but nobody could really help me. So I kept trying. I kept adding to my open records request, hoping I would hit on the right combination of magic words that would get me to that audit report that I don't know the name of, and to the letter that I only know the general content of, and that's just a guess. So in the meantime, I wrote you an episode with everything that we know so far. And as I was recording the end of the episode, I heard a ding in my inbox. I went ahead and checked my email because I was already interrupted, and there it was the response to my open records request that I'd been waiting for. All 1,476 pages of it. So unfortunately, I had to scrap that whole episode. Can you guess what I'll be doing this weekend? Yep, 
reading a whole heck of a lot of legal documents, right? So I also have the True Crime Podcast Festival here in Kansas City this weekend. So as soon as I'm done with that, I'll be writing you a new episode based on the open records response that I received. And yes, I'll be taking the documents with me and reading them at the festival. By the way, Justice Delayed has a table there, so stop by if you're going to be at the True Crime Podcast Festival this Saturday and Sunday, July 4th weekend. I'd love to chat with you, and I also have some cool swag to give away. So stop by my table and say hello. I'm going to leave you today with a little bit of footage of Jennifer Servo reporting for KRBC. Listen through to the end. Her laugh is worth it. They're having a lot of fun. She joins us now live. Jennifer? Terry and Downing, I'm here in Minter Park in downtown Abilene for Art Walk. And let me tell you, the festivities going on out here aren't just fun for the whole family. They're also fun for the family pets. The Dog Parade and Talent Show will be kicking off in about 10 or 15 minutes or so. So if your pet has some talent, or at least you think he does, bring him on down and you might be able to walk away with a prize from the award ceremony that starts around 7. Now also going on out here, there's Make and Take Art at the Great Museum. There's live music. I'm sure you can hear that playing in the background behind me. The original match will be playing at the Paramount a little later. And there's an arts display on Texas tornadoes at the Center for Contemporary Arts. Now, besides all of that, there's lots of street vendors selling their arts and crafts out here. And everything's going to be out here till about 8.30 or so. So if you want to come check it out after you watch the news, they'll be here. Reporting live in downtown Abilene, I'm Jennifer Servo, KRBC9. Thank you. Thanks, Jennifer, for that live report. And if you can't get out and enjoy Art Walk for yourself, Jennifer will have a full report for you coming up tonight. Thanks, Jennifer. These men and women of the 39th Airlift Squadron knew they would be deployed to Central Command, but they didn't realize just how soon. We've known that we would be deploying again for quite some time, but this one came upon us a, a little sooner. It was moved up in time. Many of them are on their second deployment for the War on Terror. A stressful time for the squad, but they say it's even harder on their families. We miss each other a lot, we do, but uh, I think they understand why I feel like that it's my job to go over there and, and to do what I do. Master Sergeant Benham has four children at home and is on his second rotation in the War on Terror. Benham says he acts as a role model for the younger troops, getting their first taste at war. We try to give them as many pointers as we can. I'm a little bit worried, yeah, you know, we don't know what to expect, but I think it'll be cool. Even though the squadron received short notice of this deployment, the commander says they're ready for the challenge. The troops that we've got are well-trained, they're well-motivated, and uh, they're ready to get back in on the action. I think whenever we're deployed, we pull together real good as a team. Uh, we fit together real good as a, as a team and work together and help each other out. Military officials can't comment on just how long the squadron will be deployed, but say it could be as long as 90 days. Reporting from the flight line at Dias Air Force Base, I'm Jennifer Serva, KRBC9. Ha, 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 ha.